welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Okay, friends, if you want to make your way back to your seats, that'd be great. Find a Bible if you want one. All right. Wow. Second hour. I got to be honest with you, 11 o'clockers, usually you're a little more subdued than the 9.30. You would think that like those who got an hour more sleep would be more awake, but you guys, you play it on the down low, but today it's buzzing in here. Wow, you guys are up to something. You're up to something. Um, If you have a Bible, turn to the book of Exodus. That's where we're going to be. Happy second Sunday of Lent to you. If you didn't know, this is the season of the church calendar called Lent. Begins at Ash Wednesday. Many people give something up during Lent. Some people add something to their life during Lent. I hope and pray that your Lenten journey is growing and deepening you as a person in unexpected ways. I was doing a little reading about Lent, and I found this quote, which I thought, oh, this is good. I'm just going to start with this. So this is N.T. Wright, one of my favorites. He says, by 6 p.m. on the first Good Friday, the world was a different place. That may sound very odd, but that is what the first Christians said again and again. They said things like, On the cross, Jesus disarmed the principalities and powers and led them in a captor's triumph, making a public example of it. It didn't look like that on the evening of the first Good Friday, but as they looked back, that's what they said had happened. They said that that day, a revolution had begun. I love a good revolution, don't you? I hope and pray that that's happening in you and in me and in the world, because God knows we need a revolution, yeah? And I'm not even talking about Bernie. Hey! Hits keep coming. The politics stuff, man, they're going to, we got a long time to get some good zingers and some good jokes till November. So just keep, keep watch, keep watch. Um, no, seriously, uh, if you didn't know, there is a, a, a installation in the back in the gallery related to Lent. And there's also a participatory piece on the right hand side as you leave. If you weren't here for Ash Wednesday, there are little pieces of paper. We invited people to write their, what they felt like their invitation for Lent was. And so those are hanging in the back sort of just standing vigil over us, this Lenten journey. So if you want to participate, you still can. There's still time. Uh, We'll continue this morning in our series we began last week called Metamorphosis. And we're looking, we're trying to take a closer look at the spiritual journey. Like what happens when transformation takes place in the person? What can we expect? Is there like an arc or a, a sort of predictable pattern that happens when people experience transformation? Um, what does it feel like? And so we're looking at these two journeys, one of the, the caterpillar that becomes the butterfly, the most famous metamorphosis that we know, maybe, and then the, arguably, uh, the Moses and the, and the Israelites in the story of the Exodus, this journey that they are on. So the first is the journey of the caterpillar who becomes the butterfly, this well-known, well-studied, but very mysterious thing. And these six stages during Lent as we go one each week the egg, the caterpillar, the transition, chrysalis, eclosure, and the adult. A little bit about each of those. The egg is this waiting period, this season of, of um, protection and care, but also vulnerability in some ways. Seeds of the future are present. Uh, the caterpillar, which we'll look at this week, this growing on a mission, kind of like got things to do and people to see. There's a clear sense of direction and production. And then there's something changes in this transition where we sense something new is on the horizon and maybe what was working kind of stops working or begins to stop working. We're readying ourselves for something new, which is 
This chrysalis experience, which I would argue is midlife, by the way. <laughs> um, a, a real, like, coming in and a darkness at times, a stripping away, kind of undoing, as it were. Uh, and then this emergence into something new. And following the last, this adult monarch, you know, running around the world pollinating things, just bringing life wherever it finds itself. So last week we looked at the, uh, the birth of Moses in this first stage of the egg where we saw this nurture and care and kind of preservation of that, the seeds of potential that were present. They were there but sort of subterranean maybe, under the surface. And I left you with this question, which I'm going to do each week in this series. And last week the question was, is God good? Which seems like a real easy answer, Micah, of course. Of course God is good. But do you imagine God is good? Do you experience God as good? When you think about the divine, is that being good? Or is there any sense of anger or retribution present or readiness to like smite you when you slip up? What is God like? Because if God is good, then we need not be anxious in the waiting. So this morning as we jump in, I'll just preface uh, our, our look at Moses on a mission with a couple of things. I, I mentioned these last week and I'll say them one more time. And that is, as we think about the spiritual journey and transformation, know that each stage there is light and darkness. There is beauty and pain and struggle in, in all stages. So there need be no value judgments made as to where you find yourself or where you find someone else to be in the journey. Uh, also, these don't necessarily go in sequential order. So you type A drivers who like things to go one, two, three, four, five, six, take a deep breath, <sighs> slow your roll, ease your tension. They might not go in order, okay? You may find that there's resonance in certain areas and not in others. That's okay. Just like latch on to what's true and what resonates. And then lastly, you may be in multiple places in different parts of your life. So that's fine too. As a married person, you may find yourself in a certain season in your marriage, but not in your work, or, or as, you know, vice versa, okay? There's multiple places you might be. That's okay, all right? So today, the caterpillar and Moses on a mission. Exodus chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, I'll invite you to turn there, and if you can, I'll invite you to stand, and we'll read the text, and then we'll jump in. I'm going to read a couple of parts from Exodus 3, 4, and 5, just short little bits to sort of get the scope of the story. So here we go. Starting in verse 7, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Verse 18 of chapter 4. Then Moses went back to his father, father-in-law, Jethro, and said to him, Let me return to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. Jethro said, Go, I wish you well. Now the Lord had said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all those who wanted to kill you are dead. And so Moses took his wife and his sons, put them on a donkey, and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand. And last, verse 1 of chapter 5. And afterward, Moses and Aaron went to the Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go, so they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pray with me. God, this morning as we gather, we do so um, with all kinds of thoughts and feelings about you and about church and about why we're here. And 
So I pray that by your spirit you would hold all of that, that everything would belong, and that in your unique and mysterious and divine way you would move us, encourage us, challenge us, invite us to take one step towards you, towards goodness, towards life, towards love. I pray in the strong name of Christ and the church said together, amen. You may be seated. So before we go on uh, this little exploration of Moses on a mission, what can be said about the caterpillar as it emerges from the egg? Biology lesson begins now, children. The caterpillar, uh, when it comes out of the egg, is on a clear mission, um, and that mission is to eat, 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 and eat some more. They're a bit like teenagers in that sense. Hey-ho! Uh, there's a level of like productivity and growth and movement that is unmatched in the animal world. These things grow 2,000 times their size. Two millimeters when they come out of the egg to two inches when they go into the chrysalis. In 14 days. <laughs> Nine to 14 days is the average span of a caterpillar's life on Earth. That's a pretty short period of time. And these things do nothing but eat. It's insanity. Um, they shed their skin five times in those 14 days because they're growing at such a rapid rate that they can't even keep up. The, the, each phase is called instars, I-N-S-T-A-R-S. And here are a picture, here's a picture of the five different instars all on one milkweed just for you this morning. The egg is over here on the right, the first little guy right here in the middle, two millimeters to the second, third, fourth, fifth. And you can see like Two weeks, these things grow insane amounts, like proportionately. I don't even know how big we would be, but it would be, it'd be huge, huge. Words you, you could describe these guys in this season of their life would be focused on a mission, clarity, like no diversion, you know, blinders, uh, high productivity, a lot of growth, results, action, movement. This is about hunger, passion, desire. When I was a kid, I, I caddied at a place called the Town and Country Club down on the river. And uh, from the moment the golf course opened in the spring to like the last dying days of summer, I was there at 5 a.m. Now imagine, as a parent having, have, who's had to drive their children around for a bit, it gets old. Can you imagine like mo Tuesday, Monday was caddy day. So if you've seen Caddyshack, that's real. When the caddies invade the country club, Monday was caddy day. So Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, every day, 5 a.m., my parents had to drive me to the golf course. At first, it was to save money to buy a bike. You can see why. My parents were heavily invested in this, this enterprise, right? $300 Schwinn at Now Sports on Snelling Avenue. And I went in, and I saw my bike, and I was like, okay, I think I'm ready to buy this thing. And then I saw the Cannondale, which was like $450. My brother had a Cannondale, and I was like, he got a Cannondale, I want the better bike. And my mom's like, no, you are buying a bike today. She's doing the math, and that's like another two months of driving. No way, Schwinn for you, buddy. So at first it was the Schwinn, and then it was Caddy of the Year, this prestigious award that all know about. Uh, the best caddy of the country club. And so I was laser focused, friends. I did nothing but eat, sleep, and caddy. You know, we'd wake up, we'd go to Boza Donuts, four donuts and a cherry Coke. How am I still alive? I don't even know. I don't even know how I'm here. But that was it. And it was just every loop I could take, I would do it, do it, do it. And at the end of the year, I became the caddy of the year, the number one caddy. Yeah, thank you. I thank you very much. Yeah. Number one caddy. They, terrible, terrible, awful system. They numbered the children, you know? So you're like, what number are you? Because you'd get there and you'd have to write your number down and that's how you'd get priority. So you get there and you're like, what number are you? Uh, 179. <laughs> Just awful moment every day that you wanted to work. 
was reminded of your mediocrity, except if you were number one. And it was like, numero uno. So I won the caddy of the year. Friends, that summer, I was a caterpillar. You know what I'm saying? Just nothing but eating, sleeping, and caddying. That was it. It's all I did. I was on a mission. It was clear. What about Moses? What about Moses on a mission? Is there anything we can learn from this guy about in this stage of the journey? Moses who says, let my people go and leads them out of slavery and into freedom. Now, of course, if you know the story, you know that I'm leaving out a lot of the story, right? All the places where Moses is like, oh, I don't think I can do it. I can't speak very well. All the doubts that he has and uncertainties, that's all well and true. It's all part of the story, yes. But for our sake and for the sake of the series this morning, I want you to imagine the moment when he's like, okay, let's do this, right? When he actually leaves, he leaves his father-in-law at the place of waiting he's been for 40 years, think your waiting's long. Goodness gracious. The place that's nurtured and readied him for this task he's about to uh, be invited into. So he does it. He says goodbye to Jethro. He marches into Egypt. He gathers the Israelite leaders. He's like, this is the plan. It's a 32 belly option on two. We're going to go into Pharaoh's office and we're going to tell him, let my people go. And he does it. What can we say about this stage of the spiritual life? I want to say first and foremost, we hear God speak. We hear the divine speak. If you read in verse, chapter 3, verses 3 to 6, it says, Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why does the bush burn, but, or why does the bush not burn up? When the Lord saw he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. He's, he's watching now, right? God's like, oh, he's paying attention. Moses, Moses, here I am, Hineni, he says. Do not come any closer. Take off your, God says, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Nothing gives us a sense of, of purpose and passion more than hearing God speak clearly to us. You know? And I'm guessing that Moses called this moment up when he heard God speak from a bush no less. Later on in the journey, when he's wondering, like, are these people going to follow me? Like, I'm, I'm guessing he remembers this moment many times along the way when God spoke clearly. Now, even as I say, when we hear God speak, I recognize that some of you might be thinking to yourself, what is that even like? Like, you say that as if it's normal. Oh, yeah, when we hear God speak, duh. But, like, how does that actually work metaphysically? Like, is it... Uh, like, could you MRI it on a scan? Like, would it show, like, things lighting up that weren't lighting up before? Oh, that's the divine speaking to you. No problem. Just listen. Like, how does that work? I'm not going to pretend like it's straightforward and simple because it's not. But I'm also not going to deny the fact that I believe God speaks. And I think if we were to po poll the room that many of you would testify to moments in your life where you feel like you've heard the divine... You have sensed God's presence in a way that was different than other moments. Where you intuited, where you knew, like one of my friends, Becky, says, I know that I know that I know. It's like a different kind of knowing. It's a new category of knowing that God has said something, has revealed God's self to you. I can remember multiple times in my life. One, I was in Israel. I'm sitting on the steps of the, the Temple Mount, and Rabbi Allen is there, and he says something, but it's not Allen. You know what I mean? And I hear, Micah, I believe in you. At a moment that was critical in the life of this church and in my life. I remember a few days earlier sitting in the Sea of Galilee. Like imagine a lawn chair, you know that? that usually it's like Minnesota summer. You're sitting in the lawn chair, your feet in the water. You got the koozie, Coors Light. 
That would be terribly irreverent for the Sea of Galilee. Very serious place. I think I had a bourbon at that point. But either way, <laughs> I'm sitting there, and I, I sense, like God say, Micah, are you ready to receive my love for you as a father? Which I had denied and pushed away and was really quite angry about, to be honest. And for the first time, I came to grips with, or I, I surrendered to God's invitation, like continuous invitation, Micah, will you receive my love for you as a son, as, your fa as a father? I remember being in a, a hermitage at Pachaman Terrace in silence, looking out a window, doing nothing. Oh, but I wasn't doing nothing. I was doing the most important something, right? Waiting. And I heard God say, I have a journal, like big bold letters, Micah, you are my son and I am proud of you. I remember being on Malax, the shore, like wrestling with God. Should I plant this church or not? And I remember hearing God say, I will be with you. I could keep going. And I'm sure if you, I asked you, we would testify to moments where we've sensed God speak. And these moments are typically, they, they, uh, following each of these moments, as I look back, there is often a season of growth and of results and of movement and of productivity, like there's a resolve and a confidence because I've heard the Lord, I've heard God. When we're in this stage of the spiritual journey, it is often preceded or, it's, or connected to hearing from God. Think about Jesus. Jesus comes up out of the water at his baptism and he hears the divine voice say, this is my son with whom I am well pleased and bam, three years of movement, of action, of healing and teaching, of producing. So when we hear the divine, we move. There's a confidence and a resolve. I would also say that there's a clarity of mission. Right? If you keep reading in Exodus 3, the Lord said, I've seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out. They're slave drivers. I'm concerned about their suffering. So, verse 9, now cry, the cry of the Israelites has reached me. So now go, you go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people out of Egypt. I mean, that's pretty clear. Not a lot of ambiguity there. Well, I'm not, where should I go? Egypt, I told you. Well, who should I talk to? Pharaoh, I told you. I'm sending you, go. And clarity is key for movement, for productivity, for growth, for results. Think about the caterpillar, friends. Nine to 14 days, skin five times, 2,000% in order to move from one stage to the next. It's clear about one thing, and that is to eat. The book, after all, was right. The very hungry caterpillar. <laughs> and whoever illustrated that, gosh, it's one of my favorite kids' books. So good. There's nothing that stunts growth and movement faster in business or in the soul than a lack of clarity, ambiguity. Because when you're unsure, it's hard to move at all. Right? We even use words like, I'm paralyzed. And for, for, for many of us, that might be the wisest thing to do, like slow down and stop moving. Others of us just keep going and running into things. But when there's clarity on purpose and mission, it provides fuel for the fight. It provides like, you know, the energy for the work ahead of us because we know where we're going. I mean, you've all been to the state fair at that moment, right? When nobody knows where we're going next and they're all just standing around filling our face with cheese curds, which might be okay, fine. But when nobody knows where they're going, like, I don't know, where should we go? I don't know, what do you think? I don't know, what do you think? I don't know, I don't wanna, I don't wanna be the one that says where we're going, because then you're that guy. And then somebody's like, we should go to the Miracle of Birth Center. Bam, 
man, and everybody's like, movement, there's energy. Why? Because there's a lack of ambiguity. There's now clarity as to where we're going and why we're doing it. We want to see births. We want to see miracles. <laughs> right? Cheese curds and miracles, baby. It's going to be a good day. But when you, have, when you lack clarity, when there's ambiguity, like, it's like, ugh, you know what I'm saying? And you've been in that meeting at work, right? <laughs> everyone's looking around and, and everyone's like, this person has no idea where we're going. You know, and, and they're like, oh gosh, we're going to die here. You might. Nothing stunts growth and movement faster than a lack of clarity. But man, when you have clarity on mission and vision, it is like the spark, it's the energy, it's the mojo. You, you've, you've heard from the divine, or your boss in this case, there's clarity on mission, so you're moving. It's good. So we have Moses. He hears from God. There's clarity on mission. And lastly, I would say there is fruit from his work and his effort. Sometimes we try, we try, we try. We keep like intending and putting energy into something, and there's just no work, no fruit to show. There's no, nothing happens but in this season of the spiritual journey, when there's clarity and you've heard from God, more often than not, there's fruit from your work. There's results and growth. Like all systems are operating at peak performance. In the end, Moses leads multiple generations out of slavery and into freedom. The Pharaoh lets the people go. Now, if you keep reading, he shortly rescinds his offer and chases them down to kill them. But be that as it may, he lets them go. Where there was nothing to do but make bricks for a slave driver, now there's a person and a plan, and it's bearing fruit. And how much fun is it when you're in that moment, when you're in that season, when like all systems are go, green lights across the dashboard, baby, drive this sucker. It's so much fun, right? So good. When we feel clear, we've been invited by God to do something, we're clear about what it is. There's movement and results and productivity. There's more answers than questions. There's more light than darkness. The sun is shining. Winter is but a distant memory behind us. Praise the Lord, people. I'm get, I want you to actually feel the excitement of this because it's worth your excitement. I'm, I'm caught. Sorry. There we go. I'm like, ah, I, can't, I can't move my neck. <laughs> like, how sweet is this season? It's so good. The winds are at your back. The sun is shining. You're doing what you were meant to do. Man, it's like nothing, can, nothing can go wrong. Everything we do, it's just fruit everywhere. And I want you to feel that. I want you to, like, I want you to, I want you to know you have permission, if you're there, to say, yes, good. This is so good. I've I, I heard from the Lord. I know where I'm going. I know what I'm doing. And I'm just putting my, you know, hand to the plow, nose to the grindstone. And what's happening? Good things are growing. You can feel that. And you don't have to apologize. You don't have to qualify. You don't have to say, I'm sorry. You don't have to. So each week, I've, I've tried to narrow it down to a question for this stage of the journey. And so the question for you, if you're here, is can you trust what you've heard and receive what is good? Can you trust what you've heard and receive what's good right here, right now? I talked about this on Ash Wednesday, one of my favorite moments in Scripture. Moses is invited, says, come up on the mountain and be on the mountain. 
Like, can you be here right now in the height of summer where things are growing and it is good without asking when's it going to end? When's the shoe going to fall off? When will it stop? I know it will. Stop. Don't, don't do that. Don't go there. It's not because that's not true. It is true. It's life. This is how it works. But will you just be here for now instead of worrying about when it will end? Because you rob yourself the joy of this moment by worrying about that moment. That's not even religion. That's just wisdom. Don't do that. Be here. Be present. Can you trust what you've heard and receive all the good? Like, soak it up. Milk it for all it's worth. And this is a challenge for us sometimes. Especially some of us who, like, who, who only know trauma and conflict as our norm. We're like the orbit that we've lived in our whole lives has been trauma and conflict. And when we, when we experience anything other than that, we almost sabotage this moment because we're more comfortable in this. And we can't receive this for the goodness that it is. We think, I'm not worthy of that. Or I don't deserve that. None of us do. So stop asking that question. It's grace. It's benevolence. It's abundance. Why? Because God is that good. Not because you're that good. Not because any of us are that good. But because it's divine love. And sometimes we're here in this moment. And the sun shines, and things are growing. And guess what? It's beautiful. It's just beautiful. Just because it's beautiful. Now, this may be the only stage that I have two questions. Because I wonder if this stage is as much for those who are in it as much as it is for those who are not. Because it's really hard to watch someone killing it. You know what I mean? When somebody's like, I heard from the Lord, and you're like, liar. <sighs> you all laugh like I'm such an awful person. You know you've done that. <laughs> Maybe you didn't say liar under your breath, but you're like, eh, really? It's really hard to watch somebody just slaying it. When they say, I, <laughs> lines are open, like clarity and clear. Okay, in, in terms of my understanding and hearing from God, especially when you feel like you haven't heard from God in months or years, how hard is it to watch someone who's receiving and hearing from the divine and acting on those things and making progress when you just feel like you're stuck? And this is a question of maturity. This is a moment of discipleship. That fancy word people use in church and religion. Discipleship is really just growing towards an intent, intention. So this is a moment of discipleship and of maturity. Can I celebrate with someone else when they're in that season, even if I myself am not experiencing it? I once applied for this big grant for my sabbatical, and I didn't get it, but my best friend in ministry did. And I'm like, oh, yeah, Scott, I'm really happy for you. <laughs> right? Can you celebrate with those around you truly, honestly, with integrity, down to your toes? Like, I am so happy for you. I'm so excited for you. I hope you get it all. 
Can you, can you do that? When it's silence and desert for you. Because I'm guessing even as I talk about this part of the journey this morning to say, I, I want you to feel free to like be here and to celebrate it, to say yes, to like have a smile on your face, to have joy in your heart. Good news, right? I want you to be free. You have permission to be there. And also there are people around you. No, actually, those of you who are there, plug your ears. To, those, to the rest of you in the room, celebrate that. Because you were there once, and you'll be there again. This is how it works. So don't be afraid. Don't judge. Don't, there's no value given to these. This is just the journey. And sometimes the sun is shining, and the birds are singing, and it is, it's really good. And what you put your hand to and your energy to, man, it just grows. So good. So good. So be there. Don't ask questions about why. Just receive it. It's gift, it's grace, and it's yours. So drink it up. Pray with me if you would. God, in the next few moments, as we take some time for silence and reflection, we do so because our lives are so busy. And so just every week, we want to like, carve into our, our souls this channel so that a little bit of water, a little trickle, can work its way through it each week where we sit in silence and we hear, we listen. And may that grow in us. May our capacity to hear and listen and discern grow in us as water running through these channels. So as we go into silence, Melody's going to read a prayer, a poem um, by Howard Thurman. And as she does, I invite you to receive that and then take a few moments of silence to reflect. This prayer is called Our Little Lives. Our little lives, our big problems, these we place upon your altar. The quietness in your temple of silence again and again rebuffs us. For some, there is no discipline to hold them steady in the waiting, and the minds reject the noiseless invasion of your spirit. For some, there is no will to offer what is central in the thoughts. The confusion is so manifest, there is no starting place to take hold. For some, the evils of the world tear down all concentrations and scatter the focus of the high resolves. We do not know how to do what we know to do. We do not know how to be what we know to be. Our little lives, our big problems, these we place upon your altar. Pour out upon us whatever spirits need of shock, of life, of release, that we may find strength for these days courage and hope for tomorrow. In confidence, we rest in your sustaining grace, which makes possible triumph and defeat, gain and loss, and love and hate. We rejoice this day to say, our little lives, our big problems, these we place upon your altar.
Greg, will you put that slide up that begins with uh, holy, holy, uh, I think it's the beginning of the chorus. I was listening to this as we sang it, and I thought, man, wherever, wherever you are this morning, this is, a, I think, a really profound posture in prayer. Um, or the one before it, Greg. Holy, a declaration about something about God. There is none like you. There's none beside you. Open my eyes in wonder. And then the next slide. Show me who you are and fill me with your heart. Lead me in your love to those around me. So may that be our posture, our prayer. Um, as you go today, know that the Lord's blessing is with you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said together. Amen. Grace and peace, friends. Enjoy the sunshine. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.